Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-hosts Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, 847-866. WNUR is our number in studio. You can call us live on air. Get your voice heard, 847 847- 866-9687. All right, tonight, soprano Angela Mortellaro joins us inside the huddle live by phone. She's currently singing not one, not two, but two roles in the Donizetti Double Bill, which opened at Chicago Opera Theater last week. We ask her about the unique process of rehearsing two shows at once. And then in Chalk Talk... The average age at the Metropolitan Opera is about to get lower, much lower. The Met is presenting a new opera for babies. The company will present 10 free performances of Bambino, an opera for babies between 6 months old and 18 months old. Tobias tells us if he's going to take his kids to the show. Plus, at 9.40 p.m., it's the two-minute drill. We get you up to speed on everything from the past week in opera land and our hot takes on those stories. (laughs) we got a lot to do tonight, boys. Oliver Camacho, how the hell are you? I'm so excited to be here today, everybody. It's the day before taxes, and it's freezing here in Chicago. (laughs) Feels like spring, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Tobias Wright, what's up? George, you just told all of our listeners that I have children. I know. Sorry. Papaginos and Papaginos. (laughs) (laughs) And Matt Cummings in the house. I'm just happy that Oliver's happy to be here, honestly. Wow. (laughs) A lot of love in here. Weston, are you going to rain on our parade, or do you got love? Uh, I got so much love. I love that everyone's here, baby. It's a full house tonight. If we were playing poker, this would be a full house. The Chicago Browns. Is that our is that our sports talk for the show? <laughs> well, the, remember poker? back in the mid two thousands when poker got started to get big. Oh, again? when they were, when it was on ESPN eight, the Oaks. Exactly. and on Bravo, like Texas Showdown, <laughs> Texas exactly. Hold'em, yeah. Yeah, Hold'em. Yeah, 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 celebrity poker tournaments. Yeah. I love that. I love I, poker is a great game. Toby, you play poker or no? Uh, well, not, no. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll, I'll invite you over for the game then. Family game, maybe. You know, that sounds actually, like a safe bet. So, uh, growing up in southern Kansas, uh, right on the Oklahoma border, there were all these casinos on the Indian reservations, and we would go. I would go play blackjack all the time. And then one time, <laughs> I lost 150 bucks in straight hands, and I didn't even have 150 bucks. And I was like, "Well, I'm never gambling or playing cards again." I have a similar story, actually. That's all it takes is one bad night, and one, I'm done. One bad night. You wanted to talk about the NBA finals. Too. Well, the finals, the playoffs started yesterday. It's or no Saturday. Yep. It's the most magical time of the year for for basketball fans. Oh, Winter. Oh. It's the most <laughs> magical time. Anyway, NBA playoffs are starting. My dark horse uh, is the three seed in the East, and that would be the Philadelphia 76ers. Trust the process, Joel Embiid. Wow, it's a good tip. All right, let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Okay, so quick mic check. Angie, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Uh, hold on just for one second. Um, so we're going to try to squeeze in a really quick review here. Um, on Saturday, Chicago Opera Theater presented uh, the first in its run of the double bill of Donizetti, uh, Il Pigmalione, and Rita, directed by Amy Hutchinson, conducted by Francesca Meliotto, starring Javier Abreu, uh, Keith Ferris, and our guest tonight, uh, Angela Mortellaro. Uh, the production continues this coming weekend at Chicago Opera Theater, the Studebaker Theater. Uh, there's lots to enjoy in this show. Uh, if you, you know, love the feeling of the 60s in Italy and like those beautiful colors and those high-waisted pants with pleats, uh, you're going to love this show. If you love clowns, I'm a big clown fan. Yep. I have clown training myself. You're going to love this show. <laughs> 
uh, if you like Sopranos who are sassy and uh, have big old tops. High notes. (laughs) (laughs) You're gonna love if you like the idea of a Vespa. You're gonna love this show. So the idea of one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was uh, delighted by this Donizetti and bel canto comedy is sometimes very hard to pull off, but the Rita in particularly in particular is a highly enjoyable show. Uh, So I do recommend that you go out and say, Matt, before we introduce our guest, did you want to say anything about it? Yeah, I had a bl- I had a blast. Really, it 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 felt like such a short night, but it was when I left, I was amazed at what time it was yeah. because it what? just flew right by. Hey, Weston, did you see the show too? <laughs> I did indeed see the show, and it was great. And you, uh, Angela, were magnificent in uh, both of your roles. Uh, if I do, if I'm uh, to put that compliment out there now that Oliver has scared you off completely, <laughs> um, Toby, one last comment from you before we get into the interview process. Hi, Angie. This is Toby. Um, I thought you were perfectly mediocre and really enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to welcome to Opera Box Score uh, soprano Angela Mortellaro. It's an Italian name, and uh, that's spelled M-O-R-T-E-L-L-A-R-O. And you should check out her website uh, because you can learn all the stuff that we don't want to waste time talking about in this interview. We want to get down to the good stuff, but uh, it's a really enjoyable website, and you can see what types of roles she sings, and we'll definitely get to that in this interview. So welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Is it okay that I called you Angie? I didn't even ask your permission. No, I, I, I like it. Okay, so we, we are now... My friends call me Angie. We're already friends. Yeah, we are definitely <laughs> in a new era of Me Too and Reckoning, and so I should always ask permission, ask consent, before I start calling you <laughs> Angie and talking about your top. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's actually a pretty good uh, transition, because mm-hmm. um, obviously... Um, that's Weston, by the way. Obviously, uh, Rita, in particular, has um, some of the... There's one art in particular, uh, (laughs) which has not aged very well in terms of content, I think. Uh, Simply, Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know know the opera, to our listeners out there, uh, most of the, the story hinges... On uh, on this uh, this man coming back, uh, this, these these two uh, Rita and her first husband. He comes back, uh, but he apparently hit her once, and uh, and that's kind of where most of the action takes place. And obviously, that's kind of a difficult thing to put out there here in the 21st century, uh, especially with all that's been going on uh, recently. So I was kind of wondering, did you do anything to kind of prepare for uh, that aspect of the role? Uh, Did you take anything into consideration that you wouldn't ordinarily would have? Well, I think it's really relevant for this time because Rita is a Me Too survivor. Mm -hmm. She was hit by her husband and then, you know, she doesn't deal with it very well. She turns around and repeats that behavior to her current husband, and, um, you know, through the story of the opera, she comes to reconcile with her husband and apologize, and um, so I think it's, it's a great story to tell right now. Well, it certainly it certainly uh, was. I, I could see, uh, I, I think if I had to pick, a, pick a, a sort of a theme for these two productions, um, in this well, the one production, two operas, uh, is yeah. very much going back into kind of rooting around in this bag of old Donizetti operas. Then you found the two two kind of obscure ones and kind of pulled them out. And then uh, the impression I got was that there was a real uh, an attempt to say how can we make these relevant for a twenty uh, first century audience. There was a lot of mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of neat sort of a twenty first century spectacle going on. I remember particularly there's lots of uh, I don't want to give anything too much away, but there's lots of uh, neat projection stage tricks and one particular moment of misdirection uh, where you turn from a painting into an actual person. Which I thought, which I did not, I knew was coming, you know, in the story, but I didn't, I didn't see how it happened. And I'm going to go see it again uh, in a week or so, and I'm going to really keep an eye on that. Um, but in terms of the spectacle, uh, how did you, did you ever find that that was kind of difficult as a singer to compete with all of the, you know, the, the juggling, the people jumping uh, from balconies, uh, the the clowning? Did you find that it was difficult to, uh, did you find any challenges no. with the singing? No. No, no, no. I think that all of the spectacle and all of the technical aspects in the show just enhanced the piece. 
Well, I, um, I, I absolutely so, agree. Uh, did, did, yeah. I, 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 I thought it was really interesting because I think the, 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 first, the first opening of Rita, there's just so much going on. There's a man in the audience who, who, go, who goes down on bed sheets and runs onto the stage, and there's juggling going on. I was like, I was like oh, maybe this will distract from what's going on. Um, but then whenever you were singing, uh, it really didn't. And I was, I was, did you, did you feel like you were not participating in it? Were you, did you feel like you were uh, uh, above that sort of, uh, above the sort of the clowning? No, no, no. I I mean, opera is definitely a team sport. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I had an amazing time singing this fantastic music, but I really felt, I mean, in the first aria, you know, the first piece of Rita is, is Rita's aria. And in that piece, you know, the clowns are very much part of the story because what we're trying to portray to the audience in this aria is already the relationship between Rita and her husband, Beppe, and how she's, you know, sort of the, the charming business owner and her husband is running around and doing all of the work. And um, the aspect of the clowns being that he has to split himself into several different people to accomplish everything that's demanded of him by his wife. So I think that, you know, I mean, opera is spectacle. It's a spectacle of the voice. You know, it's virtuosic and it's exciting and it's, um, you know, a lot of high notes and a lot of scales. And I felt that that was just matched by this production, you know. So we had to, we were doing two things at once. And it was definitely, um, you know, Amy Hutchinson took on a, a, a big project by putting all of these things together. But I think it really worked. And I think the audience really loved it. It's, so. it's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Angela, in uh, having been in the show and like reading some of your press and looking at some of the other roles you do, it seems that you are particularly successful at comedy. And I can tell the audience that your comic timing is as good as anybody's, if not better than some Sopranos we've seen. Thank you. You're very welcome. But I'm wondering if you've had some specific training uh, to help you develop this skill in comedy and how you prepare a comic role. Um, I didn't have any specific training to comedy, it, it did come naturally to me. I enjoy it a lot. Um, but, you know, I, when I first started doing comic roles, I didn't approach it much differently than I did any dramatic role. Um, I felt that if I really get inside the character and really decide who they are, then all of the behavior and all of the uh, action and gestures sort of come from that same place. And um, so I, but, but I really do love comedy. I, it's really it's really a lot of fun for me. Well, there's something it. with Belcanto and with comedy in particular where the music is really kind of giving you the the timing. Like the music is, is right there, mm-hmm. like where to place your gestures. How do you apply that skill that you developed into some of the newer roles that you've, you know, you've done Doris Parker, you did this opera, The Shining. Uh, there's some other new roles that you've done that I haven't heard the music to this. And I don't know if, you know, those composers are quite as good as, you know, the masters in uh, cueing the, the the singer on how to mm-hmm. behave, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, well, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, Donna Setti gives me so much material to work with. You know, one of my favorite uh, parts in the opera actually is the duet with Gasparo, her her husband who returns, or, or excuse me, her husband who she thinks is dead returns and comes to the opera, um, comes into the story. And I love that part because in the first section, they sing sort of this, this like really beautiful melody, probably the most beautiful melody in the piece, mm-hmm. but it's all sarcasm. So it's like this gorgeous melody, but there's all these sort of like little ornaments or little um, short notes that Donatetti is telling you that it's sarcasm. And I think that that's just brilliant. Right. And that's, that, that uh, shows how genius Donatetti was at storytelling and at opera. So, it, I mean, when it's a great composer, they give you all the material and it's all there. And I really don't feel like I have to work very hard. I just have to present present what they already gave me. All right, and well, for you know composers that maybe don't maybe um, aren't as experienced writing for voice or you know with newer opera, there's always I'm always trying to enhance the material that's there and use whatever it is that they've given me to to tell that story. So sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. I guess. So, Angie, this is Matt. What what sorts of things do you do do you do you think were different about the way that you would prepare Rita as opposed to a new opera? You know, what what sorts of talents, do, or, or what sorts of, what sorts of hard work would would maybe go into this role that that wouldn't have been necessary in in The Shining or or vice versa? Um, well, I approach approach the music vocally first always. I mean, I read the I read the libretto and I and I I study the story, but 
as far as like the practical job I have, which is to sing and act this piece, I always approach it musically first. And, um, you know, I have to implement different tools that I have, uh, depending on, on how the piece is written. Um, I, for Don't Accept Me, it just fits so naturally in my voice. I find that that I'm able to enjoy it just much faster. Like I'm able to get to sort of enjoying the music and really singing the music with my voice just much faster than a piece that's uh, maybe more challenging or more angular or more, more atonal or something like that. I'm so glad I'm not you sure if I answered your question. No, but. no, yeah. you, you actually are leading yeah. to my to my next question perfectly. So you now have four major Donizetti roles under your belt. Uh, with Rita, uh, you've sung Norina in Don Pasquale and Adina in Elixir of Love, and Lucia Lamamore, the kind of big Donizetti uh, soprano yeah. heroine. Um, now that you've done this much Donizetti, are you able to recognize, you know? Donizetti's particular musical rhetoric or the way he phrases or the way he, you know, supports the libretto or when he chooses to bust out, you know, virtuosic vocal writing, how he orchestrates yeah. and how you can now apply what you know about Donizetti to future Donizetti roles or maybe, you know, same operas in that milieu and that genre. I do really love singing Donizetti because it's just it's just a fit for my instrument. So it always it's always a pleasure. You know, out of the roles that I've sung, uh, well, Galatea is definitely definitely stands on its own because it was his first opera that he wrote, and I think he was still getting to know how to write for the voice and how to write an opera. Really, um, it's interesting because he obviously has great instincts to write for the voice, like how he orchestrates things depending on what the voice is doing. It's all like right on, even for his first opera. Um, so Gal- but Galatea sort of stands on its own. It's very much just in the middle, low part of the soprano voice. So that really is kind of its own thing. But the rest of the roles, um, the comedic things that he wrote felt feel all very more similar to each other. And Lucia is is like the ultimate, most wonderful role ever, um, just packed with melody and, again, packed with drama. The thing that strikes me the most about Donizetti is how he, he truly writes for the story he's telling and the comic roles are are very different than the serious roles. And um, you know, there's other Donizetti uh, roles that I would like to do that are that are not comic, that are just that are just really wonderful and amazing. So are you thinking like Three um, Queens or something, or or like I would love to do Roberta Devereaux, and um, you know, maybe one day do the do Maria Stuarda or something like that. So we'll get we'll get there one day. <laughs> I love that, Toby. Well, I'm here, Angie. I'm just listening to you talk, and I was thinking, you know, it's the shows we've done together. We did Bohem, uh, and you were Musetta, and then we did Cozy, and you were Despina. And so, obviously, two roles in which you were fiery. Um, you stole the show every time you were in a scene, and it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about dramatic roles. And, I mean, I know your personality, and you've obviously shared with us a little bit. You're, you're electric when you're on stage. Is it harder for you to be dramatic, though? I, you know, thinking... Uh, uh, Juliet, you just recently did, correct? Am I crazy in saying that? Yeah, no, no, I did that. I did that recently at Minnesota Opera. So is it a change for you uh, in how you approach the music? I mean, I know obviously dramatically it's different, but I mean, from your physicality and from your mental standpoint in approaching that music, uh, knowing that you have to be more serious, what's different for you there? I really don't feel that much of a difference. I mean, I love comedy. I really do. and But it's not... I don't feel stronger in it than I do in more dramatic tragedy type roles. It's, it's, it's really, I really try to approach it the same way of like figuring out who that character is and, and, and making decisions all based on that. So I really, I don't think I'm better at comedy than I am at tragedy. I I think that I try to, um, I don't know. I just try to, I try to just be that person who I think that person is. And as far as like, my natural personality being maybe a little fiery sometimes. Um, <laughs> I mean, in every role that I do, I, I do try to draw from who I am, you know, and what, what part of me can I, do I, how do I relate to this character and what, and what can I bring to this character that I already know? And then on top of that, grow from that, like, well, what, what don't I know and how can I tell that story of things that maybe I can't relate to personally? So this is going to be maybe a tough question for you to answer because it's going to cause you to be a little bit, I don't know, egotistical, but I we want, I really want to know the answer to this question. So with a performer like you, I think the audience recognizes immediately that you have like this confidence and it comes off in, in Rita as definitely a sass, but you know, the audience, you know, just loves you immediately. 
And there's something Thank that you. you are doing when you walk on stage that has to do with your physical comportment, but obviously with your ability to sing well. But what is it that you can tell a young singer that they can work on to give them that level uh, or give them a sense of how it is to be like that powerful on stage? I mean, it's, it really is. It's power that you come into when you come on stage and not everybody has it. It's one of those things like, you know, you're a great singer and we want to hear you sing, you know, but then there are people like you who like, oh, I want to watch her. You know, I, I really think it's a combination of two things. It's, it's really hard work. I mean, I, I work on my voice a lot and I, and I really think about these characters and I really think about the opera and what I want it to be as a result like what I want the result to be like. And so I do a lot of work on that. And that plus sort of, um, I try to let the magic in at the same time. So I feel like it's the meeting of those two things. It's the meeting of like really hard work and really preparation and really working on technique. And you have to do that work. Otherwise you can never, ever be confident. And then, but then at the same time, allowing yourself to be on stage and paying attention to what your colleagues are doing, really listening to the orchestra and letting all those things inform you in real time. And I feel like that's really the job of an opera singer is to do both of those things at the same time. I'm so glad you said that because I do feel like there are singers out there who are not listening or not, you know, paying attention to their surroundings or just so worried about their own, you know, singing and their own presentation. Um, of course, yeah. But can I have a last question for you? And you don't have to name names, but you've had enough experience now. And we know as Chicagoans that Amy Hutchinson's work is great. But have you worked with directors who maybe don't give, you know, the actor a chance to be as expressive and to really command their role as you do. And you have to kind of fight the director's intention and do your thing anyway. I'm, I'm thankful that I haven't run into that too much. I mean, really at the end of the day, I'm, I'm on the stage, you know, I'm the one that, <laughs> that has to take, take the input of all the people around me, the conductor, the director, designers, and, and, and bring it all to this moment of being on stage and presenting this opera. Um, you know, I've been really lucky that I've had a lot of really great experiences. I've never really had, I don't feel that I've ever really had a, a problem with anybody, you know, bringing their, what, what story they want told to life. Let's send her to but, Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I haven't. I haven't been to Germany. So maybe I, maybe I would encounter that, but um, no, I've, I've, I've been very, very lucky. So... <laughs> Well, uh, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I, we're, we're encouraging our audience to go check it out. Uh, there's uh, two more performances. George will, will give you those details. Uh, Absolutely recommended. Yeah. That's um, right. There's two more shows of the Donizetti Double Bill with, of course, Angela Mortellaro and her colleagues. They're this Friday night and then Sunday afternoon at the Studebaker Theater right here in Chi-Town. Tickets at ChicagoOperaTheater.com. Dot, dot com? They're a dot com? Yeah. I okay. think so. <laughs> An- Angela, thank you so much. We hope that you .org. that you enjoy Chicago, <laughs> that you uh, don't indulge too much in Malort or deep dish pizza. I know that you opera singers <laughs> doing Malort enemas and stuff like that. So. Well, it's a Chicago <laughs> handshake. So thank you. <laughs> Angie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. The old Chicago handshake, huh? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> hey, um, the number of the Mets audience members who are going to pee in their pants is about to skyrocket. That's next on America's Talk radio show about opera. It's only here on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. George Cedarquist here with a full house. Oliver Camacho. Are we back? We're back. Yeah, that was fast. Yeah. We're back. I was, I was in here making out with Oliver. Oh, dude, you got <laughs> to hustle up. Tobias, that was Tobias Wright, of course. Matt Cummings, he's here. Weston Williams. And George Cedarquist. 
And and dare and I George. say it myself. George yes. is here. I, I feel like my voice is like low tonight. Oh, you got to use it though. Just talk right in the I microphone. Just, I mean, no, I have to dig rather There's so many men in here. That's why I, you I think feel. I'm getting sick or something. <laughs> I don't know. Bambino is a 40-minute opera scored for two singers and two instrumentalists, and it is coming up later this month at the Metropolitan Opera. It was written by composer Liam Patterson, developed by Scottish Opera, Improbable Theatre Company, and the Manchester International Festival, and it's designed to be performed for babies, specifically babies 6 to 18 months old, and of course their caregivers as well. Peter Gelb, the Mets general manager, said, quote, in the Mets' never-ending quest to develop audiences of the future, we've decided to start at the very beginning. So what happens is, and you can go to our website, operaboxscore.com, click a link to this story and video. You can see how it works, but it's essentially a big circle of cushions and pillows. The story is these two characters. It's sort of similar to Papageno and Papagena-ish. There's eggs, <laughs> they hatch, it's it's sort of charming, I guess. With Toby, was was did you find it as charming as I did? I did. Uh, and part of the reason, okay, well, the reason that I thought it was charming is because it's the Met embracing their role in the community. Um, and I think kind of as I, I, we look at, I think, opera companies as these giant entities that are expensive and unapproachable, but I don't believe that that's what they should be, especially a place like the Met. Um, I think they should embrace where they're, that, that they have a giant part to play in their community. And I think this is part of that. And they're reaching out in a different way. Um, and it's beneficial to them, too, because they're also fostering new relationships. Um, so I think it's adorable. I would love to be one of the singers in it because you know that that's an amazing gig. It's just a soprano and a baritone. <laughs> well, and so, so you, better, you better work on your low notes yeah. or learn to play the cello. Well, <laughs> things that probably can't happen. No, I, li- I like the idea. I think it's cute. I don't know what the babies are going to retain from it. I think yeah. that's, I think I, I mean. That was your point, Weston, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was kind of like my, my thing. Because, you know, I mean, babies are cute and adorable. We can all agree on this. They got the little pinchy cheeks. They go around. They, they got their diapers on. They're jamming to the opera. And they have a, the uh, the they have no object permanence, which I feel like might be a fundamental flaw if you're trying to create a, a lasting audience here. Uh, I mean, I think everything I recall from around that age probably just manifests itself as, uh, you know, psychological scars that'll never quite undo themselves. You talk, to, you talk to somebody about this, right? Like a therapist? I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm working on it. Uh, Who's not me? <laughs> Join <Or> the radio. <laughs> hey, hey uh, audience listening out there, tweet at me if you have any suggestions to get out my deep psychological traumas as a as a baby. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my psychological. I would hope that this would not traumatize the babies, uh, and hopefully would yield positive results. However, I, that being said, I do think that there is an, a really good audience there for the parents of the babies. Because, uh, you know, you, especially if you're a younger parent, uh, you, you might be feeling overwhelmed. I know uh, when I was really young, my dad, you know, was the big opera lover in my family. But he felt he couldn't really go to operas for, for the longest time because I was taking up all the time. I was, I was pooping in my diaper and I was screaming my head off all night. You know, uh, baby things. And uh, and uh, I remember there's a story my mom, my mom always tells. Um, it was a I was I don't know about a year old or so, uh, and my dad hadn't been to an opera in so so long. And uh, and finally my my mom was just like, you know, you you should go to this opera. I believe I don't remember what the opera was. It was uh, in New Orleans, and uh, he drove all the way down there several hours. Um, and all the way back, and uh, and he just cried the whole time because he had missed it so much. And I think that is possibly where this program would be the most beneficial for people like that. You so know. that actually, I think, is its greatest weakness because it requires oh, it requires parents who already are interested in going to an opera in order to come see it. And those are not the kinds of people that necessarily are going to need outreach the most. Uh, if you read, uh, I, anyone who's interested in reading this New York Times article, I highly recommend reading the Guardian article that's linked to it, the review, because they point out that this in company in England went to multiple communities, and specifically they went to underserved communities. Mm. And so the way I read this, I mean, this is happening in the Met. It's happening in List Hall, which is not the big auditorium, but it's the smaller one. Yeah. And 
is, is it going to be anyone other than rich white Manhattanites coming to this opera? Like, that does not really serve the purpose of outreach to me. That is also a good point. Um, yeah, I, I do think that having the community aspect of traveling would be great. But, um, you know. Well, no, Ma- are I they mean, calling Ma- it outreach, though? I don't think they are. And it is free. They're calling it develop. That, that's true, the free. So I really, Matt, agree with your point uh, on every level. But I don't, I guess what I disagree with is I don't think they're calling this outreach. And I don't think, they say it, it does require a reservation. But they're not excluding anyone. It's, it's come as you are no, and if you no, can. But, of course but they there's are. still they're, a question they're, of exactly. access. No, no. They're, ex- they're excluding sure. people because it's like it's in Midtown. Because it's in Midtown Manhattan. It seats 25 the people. There, mm-hmm. Look, there is, if you lived in Manhattan, there is no way you could get a ticket. Listen, by the time you would have read this article in the Met or seen a brochure or something, every single seat would have been snapped up. There would be no way that you get a chance to see it. And that's the difference, as Matt says, between the original production, which was in mm-hmm. England. And they went to mul- they went to multiple exactly. communities. And I, I think that maybe this is not a bad start, but they can't stop here and pretend that this is gonna be enough. I want that I mean I, I I want them to take it um to other places in New York City where they where they're in an arts desert and they don't people wouldn't necessarily know that the Met is just a train ride away. It's mm-hmm. opera box score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We're talking about the new opera Bambine O, which uh, Capital st- O started at uh, Scottish Opera, the Improbable Theater Company, and the Manchester International Festival. It's now at the Met, an opera for babies uh, and by of babies. course their their caregivers. <laughs> <laughs> if, by, by that's a cheap shot. Look, <laughs> they are they are welcome to to participate in the action however they want. It's really a no holds bar. bar <laughs> First kind of, of all, don't don't call fella McDermott a baby. Look, he is the only guy. He runs the improbable company. He's directed a number of operas like the current Cosi Fantute at the Met. He's he directed Sacha Graha at the Met. Only someone like fella McDermott could think up something like this. The guy is such an unbelievable genius. So you're pro this this whole initiative. I am absolutely pro this initiative, but I think we're focusing on the wrong audience members. Well, you are yeah. you here, are yeah. yourself a, a mu- early music educator. That's true. I do teach early childhood music. So I teach music to children of this age, 6 months to uh, up to say 3 and a half years so old. So how how would you say doing that type of education affects the uh, is it more for the parent to feel like they're doing something like by playing Mozart to their uteruses? You know. Well, I'll, I mean, Oliver, you're absolutely right. Is that the real audience members here are not these babies? These babies aren't going to remember. Right. They're going to experience it. That's how kids learn music: is by experience, is by watching people that they love, experiencing music, making music, and having a great time doing it. Mm. These kids are more interested in what their parents' response is than what these singers are doing on stage. I guarantee it. And that's not a cheap shot to their ability as musicians. This show is all about the parents, and that's why it's so important that parents who know nothing about opera, who think, as it says in the Guardian article, who think it is this sort of this thing that's not for me, that's why it's so important that they're the ones that are going to this sort of thing and that their kids are watching them enjoy this art form and why Matt is so right to stress what he's saying about the version that happened overseas and which I don't believe is happening at the Met. Hmm. Mm, yeah. I, I, I would love this to be a pilot program that is then actually extended into those communities uh, across the U.S. Um, uh, and at this point, I don't think that's the plan, but I think it could easily become that. Cause, I mean, this is, this is going to be... This is an affordable thing that the Met could theoretically fund across the U.S. because it's it's two singers, minimal set. Um, I, I think it's something they could absolutely it's do. It's a bunch of they, pillows, dog. Yeah. It's a bunch there, of there is people no. dressed up as birds. Yeah. There are there are barely any words in the opera, let alone, <laughs> just, let alone the labyrinth. You, you go to you go to any regional opera company and just pick up their propaganda propaganda costumes. You're good. <laughs> you're golden. You're good to go. So I I think this should be something that the Met makes a part of not just its own outreach program, but they should continue to fund something like this to for the rest of the country for other places. And I think that would be, that's what this should become and hopefully will become. Cause I, I, I think that's, I think, I think someone's going to realize that up there. And I think they're going to realize that something like this is 
potentially effective in other communities other than <laughs> Midtown Manhattan. I, I wonder what it would be like, though, to be a kid in this room and to have, you know, a grown-up with an opera voice singing right to you. You know, okay, I'm going to... I just was doing outreach and education uh, for Opera North in New Hampshire, and I kind of found that anybody under the age of a freshman in high school didn't really care what you were doing, how you were singing, and they didn't really have a lot of particular interest in the way that it sounded either. I mean, so they don't care if you start the trill from above or below. <laughs> they definitely those, don't. those babies will walk out if you started on the wrong. They one. will crawl as fast as they can. <laughs> Why are you so flat? Was that a parallel fifth? <laughs> no, I guess my point is, is that. Uh, uh, I don't know. But do they enjoy themselves in those I things? Think so, I think so, but I don't know if it leaves a lasting impression. I think it's just they got What type of, of music were you performing? I was singing Offenbach oh, in okay. English, and we had our uh, Olympia dressed up as Princess Peach, which I think right off, oh, nice. right off the bat. I Kids think. love so they, it. So they heard the doll song. They did. That's a catchy tune. Yeah, they yeah. liked it. You can so, leave. You can leave humming it as long as you yeah. got a three octave range. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so true. I mean, I think they enjoyed themselves, but I think that the younger you get, the less it's more of an experience and it's more of a ah, we get out of class for 40 minutes. Great. And it, it sounds like this piece is pretty abstract, like it's calibrated to the fact that there's children there. They say there aren't a lot of words. It's a lot of bird sounds. It's a lot of bird. It's but a lot of fun. There's a bunch of pillows. It's a, yeah, it's very it seems like it's really active. The two main instruments I read were percussion and cello, which are not what I would have expected. <laughs> and, uh, but it sounds like some of the, the some of the instrumentalists have to play multiple multiple instruments as well. Well, I think what's so great is that because there's so few words is that what that does is it allows children to focus on the elements of music Mm. in the performance. Mm -hmm. Tonality, rhythm, meter, dynamic. And to not have to worry about the words, right? We're such a verbal culture anyway. So basically to be singing on... Vocables, so at last, syllables. a show that Mark Campbell is not involved in. Yeah, <laughs> we found <laughs> one. <laughs> it took a, we had to go all the way to the babies, but we found one. <laughs> well, um, actually, I would love to hear from anyone who is going to see this show in New York City. You can tweet us at Opera just, Box. Put your baby score. right up to the microphone, <laughs> or right up to your cell phone, and have it's a call running. We will interview your baby. <laughs> April thirtieth to May fifth. Again, I can't imagine. That you would ever be able to get a ticket for this? Yeah, you're yeah by the time it's in the Times, <laughs> yeah, by the it's gone. Maybe yeah. they're doing six shows a day, and I, but <laughs> well, that's what I was kind of wondering. It's a, it's a, probably a pretty for the Met, uh, actually for any um, opera company, a relatively inexpensive adventure to explore, right? Right. I mean, sort of that. That's why I hope that this is just the first step. Yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm and not. George, you're probably right. They're probably doing like 37 performances <laughs> a week. Who knows, man? It, it, it wasn't clear. I don't, I don't know. Hey, you need advice on where to retire in style, that is, in classical music style? That's up next on America's Talk radio show about opera. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land in less than two minutes. Soprano Joyce DiDonato is singing the title role in the Metropolitan Opera's premiere of Massenet's Cendrillon. 
An article in the New York Times tells us more about opera's Girl Next Door. 60 older musicians are living in the eponymous Casa Verdi, a sumptuous neo-Gothic mansion built in central Milan by the composer. Completed in 1899, the building was created as a sanctuary for musicians who found themselves poverty-stricken in old age. The Deutsche Oper in Berlin has announced its season. We're going to rate that on the Dodson scale on our show next week. The Music Critics Association of North America's second annual Best New Opera Award was given to composer David Hertzberg for The Wake World, which received its premiere on last September as part of Opera Philadelphia's 017 Festival. Weeks after she won the Gleinborn Cup, American soprano Samantha Hankey, 25, has been given a Richard Tucker career grant. That's worth 10 grand. Sir Andrew Davis will not renew his contract as music director of the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Jennifer Higdon has been awarded the $100,000 Michael Ludwig Nemers Prize right here at Northwestern University. An exit stage right, some deaths in the past week. Character tenor Michel Seneschal, film director Milos Forman, librettist J.D. McClatchy, pianist Erwin Gage, and Baroque specialist conductor Jean-Claude Malgoire. That is your two-minute drill. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. And that's certainly what you're listening to, Opera Box Score. For the first time, I think, in the show's history, Oliver, all five of us are in the His House. I, it might be that. The Mighty yeah. Five. Yeah. Is that true? The we're, Mighty yeah. Hand. I think it might be. Yeah. yeah. We're all we're, we're united by Donatetti. <laughs> we were. That's what how all all great reunions come together. <laughs> there go. Well, there's some there's some great reunions happening at the Casa Verdi. Yeah. What did you think of that, Tobe? I love it. I think uh, so. I I have been to Milan multiple times, and drink, I had, drink, <laughs> and and I've had the privilege to go to Casa Verdi and see some. Uh, see the tomb of Verdi, which I think is kind of a little creepy, but also really cool. There's something uh, really fun and morbid about going it, to famous tombs. It, so true. Yeah, it is kind of cool. <laughs> and especially if you love Verdi, it's really cool. Um, it's a beautiful old building. And when I was there, you walk in and there's like these arches and then there's these music studios and these people, these residents are still actively teaching. So you have like 90 year old tenors who used to sing at La Scala and then they have their um, students in there. I don't know. It's a cool place. I think it's also a really great, if you read the article, which I don't know if we've linked it on the website or not, but um, a it lot It is of, on the website, yes. com. The idea initially was for uh, singers who what it, create a sanctuary for musicians who found themselves poverty-stricken in old age. I don't believe that to really be accurate any longer, um, but there are still only 60 former musicians who live there. It's really cool. I love the idea. They should make a movie about it. They did. They did. They make did. A movie they made about two it. movies about it, actually. <laughs> There's one called Tosca's Kiss from 1984. I was, I was wondering how. And then a movie called uh, Casa Verdi from 2008. And no, then there's called... another one that's loosely based on it called Quartet. That's, yeah. what, with, that's what I was with uh, Maggie Smith. Wait, yeah. there's, a, there's a movie called Casa Verdi? Uh, apparently so. I yeah. think that was a, just a documentary, though, which doesn't yeah. count. Documentaries aren't real movies. Um, but I, mean, I mean, like I this tell is, that to Al Gore. This is a perennial topic. This this place, and it always comes up every couple of years. And I'm so glad that there's a fresh take on Casa Verde. And like, if you are inclined to read the New York Times, I think the photos that accompany this particular article are really. I, it's. A, I mean, it's. It really is a retirement home for people. For I would say like-minded, but they're not like-minded. And it even talks about some of the quarrels that they have in in which they don't get along. Can and you imagine? Gripe, We've all been in artist lounges before. Well, I, I love it. I miss it. So much. It's, so. It's, That's why I'm on a podcast with God Love God. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're all in this hot yeah. interview room. <laughs> exactly. my, my my question is for for Casa Verde, like like how do you get in? Like it, it's an it, application process. Like do you have to like audition? Because I have feel like, some serious credentials, according to everybody in this article. You I have mean, to save all your program, save all your program books when you perform. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, all right. Because I because I feel like my, my my resume might be a little thin for retirement, but luckily I've got 50, 60 years until I would have to submit my application. So I'm yeah. not too worried. There's got to be a lottery or something at some yeah. point. There's so many musicians. Weston, out there. on what grounds would you qualify, dude? <laughs> I, I have sung beautiful, beautiful arias. I in the co-host shower. opera box. You're not, you're not Italian, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good problem. Uh, oh, I will be. Guillaume. Pizza. Weston, Guillermo. 
so think, close. I think that's really Spanish. Spanish. Really, no one is getting this right at all. But <laughs> good, good, good Guillermo. <laughs> I, I also, I also uh, screwed up. I, I called you. You think that we were on an opera podcast <laughs> or something? <laughs> Well, not Guillemi. That I, would be the last name. I, We've I, gone off the gu, rails. Guillemi. Guillemi. Right? Yeah. I, I also introduced Joyce DiNanato's as a soprano. Obviously, that she's be, a mezzo. Well, that's she's a, soprano, she, so. that's a easy mistake. She's make whatever it. she it's wants. A, to. Yeah. You also introduced her as opera's girl next <laughs> Well, yeah. This How do you is, feel about that, well, George? Well, she's forty-nine, so yeah. I don't get that. Is she? That's ageist. But that, but the fact that the question is, is she? Is I feel like part of it. She is just on top of her PR game and she really she is. really is one of the best PR people in in this business because everything to me that I hear from her read from her feels so authentic and she's all about trying to connect art to people who wouldn't necessarily have the inside baseball talk that that article starts with her talking about doing outreach in a federal prison yeah. of on all the places. same day that she was singing Norma you know exactly and she is as generous on stage as she comes off in the, in these interviews to mm-hmm. me and uh she's she's really doing it right and it is a to her credit that the met is willing to stage a piece like Cendrillon, which has been pretty much forgotten and every once in a while people will find an aria for it Frederico von Stada really liked it so for a while people were doing it but it's not it, it hasn't been done very much for a long time and now it's having a moment again because there are Mostly because there, I think there are famous singers who are interested in doing it, and there, there, are, there are a bunch of productions kind of popping up like this season, just like a bunch of right, uh, a bunch of Cendrillons of Cendrillon. Yeah, I think. Well, so. Lyric's doing it next year. Yeah, and yeah. they did it at Royal Opera House a couple of years ago, and it it becomes more efficient to produce a show once you've got a couple people who know it, because then it's less of an That's investment. That's true. For, yeah. but <laughs> is Joyce Cedonato doing the lyrics production? She's not. It's Sha- Siobhan Stag, I think, is her name. She's an I want to say an Australian soprano because it's kind of it's kind of a high lyric mezzo role where sometimes a soprano could sing it, sometimes it, a mezzo could uh, do it. But outside of lyric in the Met, it's it's not being done in the U.S. Okay, but it, it, except by conservatories, it's a bit, it's a really popular one for conservatories because it's so woman yeah. heavy, and there yeah. are always a million mm, times. Is, more. is it easier to <laughs> sing than Cenerentola, which would be the obvious equivalent for it's, Rossini? It's got to be less florid because right. that's yeah. Cenerentola is just so many notes per second that it it is really a big but we've sort of bred a whole generation of bel canto singers there's so many people who are singing that type of bel canto that wasn't exactly true maybe 30 years ago you know true but Cendrillon, i get the feeling is a shorter piece it may be and i feel like it spreads the demands out a little bit more over the cast whereas in china rentala every single ensemble ends with five minutes of 12 people singing in rapid fire <laughs> Italian as fast yeah. as they can. Yeah. <laughs> Maximum Bill Conte. No, and all the, all the principal roles have really, really difficult music to sing in Chen I, I know I'm teasing her about, about her age. There is something very attractive, though, that, you know, she grew up in the Midwest. She grew up in Kansas City. Good Catholic Midwestern girl. She went, sang the national anthem at the World she, Series. At the World Series. She, she went did, to yes. Wichita State University. She went to Wichita yeah. State, Houston Grand Opera, Young Artist Program. I mean... And God knows she's never quit. No. That's, no. that's for sure. And she's really open about that, about how hard it was at the beginning of her career. And I know that as a young singer, it's been really helpful to know that people who I see as being role models didn't necessarily have everything handed to you. And she's got to be like the busiest performer alive right now. I mean, like she's always doing a recital and doing concept albums and starring in operas, then doing community service. And she, sings, like, and she <laughs> sings music from across like 450 yeah, years no. of composition. With it's, it's hard to dislike her. And like you can find her master classes on the Juilliard website. Her on master YouTube. classes are incredible. Yeah. And like she does that regularly, you know, mm-hmm. so she's just, she doesn't, I, I wonder who her personal assistant is and how they're, how they're doing. <laughs> it's, um, it's an exact replica of Joyce DiDonato. There are just two of her. I mean, I guess, you know, her, her gain is our loss, though, right? Because in this country, outside of the Met, the, the last time that she performed in the U.S. was in Dallas in 2015. That's what hmm. I'm getting off of Opera Based. Yeah, that's wrong. Who does our statistics. That's wrong. That's wrong? <laughs> yeah. She, all, all she recently was on a recital tour. Uh, for re- in in, in, in Warren Peace, yeah, yeah I, I saw album. her. That was at the that was at uh, at the Harris. Harris. Yeah, yeah, I went to it too. A recital? Yeah, I, I'm like, talking of a full production here. Uh, this recital was <laughs> yeah. quite a production. It was costumes <laughs> and dancing and like yeah. But it and a, and she took it all over. Yeah. But uh, duly duly noted. Corrected. At least she's still alive, unlike all these people who died. This she's, oh, man. This has been a segue. She's the Mark Campbell of singers. 
<laughs> who, who do you miss the most, Oliver, out oh, of this well, list? Well, they all died. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that insight, Oliver. Michelle Seneschal actually uh, passed away on April 1st, and we didn't get it in time for the last show. And mm. um, my fault I wasn't here. But uh, Michelle Seneschal, Michelle Seneschal um, probably has sung like more roles. And I mean, there are some people who have sung hundreds of roles that are character turners. But he is one of those people that has sung hundreds of roles all over the world. Mostly character roles, but also he was French and did some of that unusual high French, you know, Leggero repertoire that is not that common anymore, but especially like French opera and stuff like that. And if you're a recordings person like me, you have him on all of your old EMI recordings of anything that's French as like Triquet or, you know, the four. He's going to pop up pop somewhere. Yeah, it's, he, you got him. <laughs> and you everywhere. Him. Yeah. Uh, but Erwin Gage was a companist to the stars. Uh, I treasure my Jesse Norman Irwin Gage albums and Arlene Auger albums. And I don't mm. know Irwin Gage as an artist separate from those singers, but those collaborations that he had are memorialized. And once again, during the era of recordings, which we don't have anymore, you know, you have an Irwin Gage recording somewhere in your library. And I have to say about Milos, Milos Forman that Amadeus is a movie that came out when I was a kid. And Me too. It, it was one of the my first exposures to like the queen of the night aria and like, you know, uh, Martin Aller Arten from abduction, you know? Yeah. I mean, it had already been out for years when I was, by the time <laughs> I went to see it, but I, it was one of the first times that I really felt the opera bug bite me mm. was watching those kinds of old fashioned productions and thinking yeah. how interesting it was that they, that they re recreated them as they imagined it would have been done at the time. And, the, I mean, the music is unimpeachable. Yeah, and if, if so. you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, you'll get some yeah. Felicity Lott. You'll get some June Anderson. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Tom uh, Hulse played the... Quasimodo. No, he played yeah, well, the title yes. role of, of Amadeus. <laughs> yes, though. He also was the voice of Quasimodo in Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> he was from my hometown, from Ann Arbor. Drink oh. when, when I was a young actor, a child star, I was compared to Tom <laughs> Double drink. Uh, you know, I miss I miss J.D. McClatchy, the librettist. He was such a wordsmith. I mean, he was a poet in his own right and a writer, fiction, nonfiction, and librettist as well. And I remember the only time that I've ever been inside the Met was I was the assistant to a director. I was not an assistant director. Assistant to a director at the Met. And I did some work uh, in the titles department. Uh, and he was part of the team. And, like, the titles, the two people in titles, he and I would argue about, like, the placement of a comma for an hour. And, like, that's how into words that guy was. I, I didn't know he was sick with cancer. And I was shocked and really saddened that he had passed away. That's a real loss to this art form. I added to uh, this rundown of stories um, the Wake World winning the second, uh, what is the name of this award? Oh, my God. It's the David Music second Critics Association of North Music. America, the second annual Best New Opera Award. Yes. So I think we probably talked about the Wake World in relation to the... 017. Was it, 017 was it, yeah. last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting that um, this uh, Music Critic Association of North America, they actually announced the award in their own little ceremony of like four critics. Yeah, there's <laughs> like four guys sitting there. <laughs> there's no, a there's a there woman. Too. There's yeah. a woman. Yeah, uh, sitting in front of their computer screen and like just talking about why they like the show. And actually, I appreciated that, even though I don't remember anything they said. I appreciated <laughs> hearing it out of the words of the mouth, the words out of their own mouths. Like, yeah. You know what they liked and yeah. really contextualizing the award in that way as opposed to just seeing like the op international opera awards we get the you know we see who won but we have no idea why anybody won i want the feedback you know i just think we so one of us needs to go to the international opera awards next year or all of us yeah, yeah. we need to have a table outside uh well we could toss a coin matt i guess but i don't think it's going to be all of we're gonna us. have to toss a lot of coins i think that we'd be able to do it get, get all there on the opera awards dime the dress code <laughs> is glamorous after all we'll, we'll just uh, we'll just pack oliver in our suitcase <laughs> and we'll just take him with us that way and we'll never have uh, to pay he, for the he'd be over ticket. the weight limit yeah. probably oh. Ooh. Dang, girl. Ooh, that cuts. Wow. wow. Cuts <laughs> Oliver is not coming back next week. In Oliver's defense, the weight limit is 50 pounds. <laughs> I've been trying to get down to my birth weight ever since I was 21. <laughs> oh, my God.
my goodness. Oh. Uh, Deutsche Oper has got its season out. That feels a little late to me. I don't know if we're just late. picking up on this no, right now. Matt, or can you tell us? Any, it, we're going to talk about it more extensively next week. I but. know. Yeah, I it's, know. A, it's quite an extensive season. They've got new productions of Wozzeck, Tales of Hoffman, La Sonambula, uh, Der Zwerg, which is by Der Zemlinski. Zwerg? Zemlinski. Oh. And uh, a new, uh, what I think from my German reading, is a world premiere opera of Ozeano. Uh, and a new, a new production is also of Don Quixote, the Massenet, and the Ampoise Thomas Hamlet. Yeah, but that's in concert. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Oceana is by Detlev Glanert, which it feels like they just wrote his name backwards. It does. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <But> Renald <laughs> Velted. <laughs> but they're also doing basically every Wagner opera that isn't Meistersinger or The Ring. Oh, uh, that's lot, my kind of season. Lots right of there. Puccini, Mozart, Verdi, a couple uh, Jan, yeah. Janacek, Ma- Macropolis case with Evelyn Harlitsius, who just yeah. had a big success at the Met in Oh, Parsifal. she's going to be good in that. Uh, Cunning Little Vixen, Bryn Terfel and Boris Godunov, uh, and Deflator Mouse featuring the direction of Rolando Villazon. Remember him? Oh, wow. He's already directing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that was fast. Yeah, exactly. Aww. Aww. How are the mighty fallen? Uh, yeah, the mighty eyebrows have fallen. <clears throat> Yes. Well, we'll do a full uh, Dodson scale on that one next week. Uh, hey, boys, let's um, wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. It's been fun having all of us here tonight. Well, yeah, it has. It's like a little little reunion, a little it's family good. reunion. I feel like the gang's should... all back together again, well, guys. <laughs> little reunion, giant sausage fest, same thing. <laughs> had a lot of fun. It feels like we should go oh, out my for jaw's a, tired. a drink or something. Say that again. Which Nothing. Is, no, okay. don't, don't say it again. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's see. Good call, bad call. Well, why don't we go in reverse alphabetical order? Oh, uh, so well, okay. With you. Here's, you, here's, you could say pass. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit. I'm going to say uh, bad call, the weather. In general, <laughs> just awful. The worst, bad call. Yeah, a lot of control over that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then reverse alphabetical order, Tobias, right? Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I was watching a video of Rolando Villazon recently in which his voice cracked in Verter, and he just kept trying to get it right, and he kept trying, and it made oh, me so man. sad. So That's the dream. So my good call is that his career continues with opera in his direction of <laughs> Deflator Mouse. Aw. <laughs> so sad. Oliver Camacho. I got two. Uh, there is a micro-opera company here in Chicago called New Moon Opera, and I've been checking them out at least once a season. And I think they're now in their fourth season. And their work is actually getting better and better. And I'm just glad to see that, like, you know, somebody started something. Yeah. They put on some very questionable shows in questionable spaces with questionable costumes and questionable lights. And little by little, they're starting to add those things that make a show feel like a show. Like costumes and lights, you know? <laughs> Always uh, a help. Wow. Yeah. Before that, they were naked in the dark. So <laughs> their current production is uh, the Viardo. Cenerentola, or Sandrione, actually, the Cinderella story by the famous singer slash composer and enigma of the romantic <laughs> French Romantic period, um, Pauline Viardot. And my other good call is actually looking forward to next week. I won't be on the show because I'll be listening to uh, Jakob Josef Orlinski sing with Music of the Broke, but I've mm. just secured with his management uh, an interview with him. I'll be interviewing him on Friday. So uh, even though I won't be on the program proper, you probably will all be hearing my voice next to that beautiful dulcet tone. That's that's my good call. That's (laughs) That's great. What, that Oliver's not going to be on the show? No, (laughs) that we'll get to hear his voice. Okay. (laughs) What is your good call, Matt? Oh, I actually had a bad call, which was that that New York Times article about Bambino referred to two singers and two musicians. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, bad call. Hate to read that. Bad call. (laughs) You never want to do that. I just cannot... Wait to see the movie Rampage. It's oh, keeping call. it topical. Thank you. It's it's based on the video game. If, if you're of my era, you you would have played the video game of like monsters climbing up these buildings and destroying them. Anyway, it's got the rock in it. How bad could it be? Rock the. That's Dwayne actually Johnson. been uh, most of the titles of the reviews of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about Opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Check out his work at VoxerSchwartz.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra.
On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And if you listen to the podcast version of our show, please leave a review. It's the cheapest, fastest, and bestest way to promote our work. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even if it's still freaking snowing in April where you live. That's weird. I said that last week. Join us next Monday at 9 p.m. Central for an exclusive interview with breakdancing countertenor Jakob Josef Orlinski. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.